Welcome to the Elite Level Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Elaine, and this is the podcast where we explore how elite level performers think, act, and operate. As mentioned on some of the previous episodes, recently we launched a brand new newsletter, the Elite Level Newsletter, and you can access it by visiting elitelevel.co. That's elitelevel.co, where you get wisdom and insight sent to your inbox every single week. Now, on that note, we've got an absolutely fantastic guest here today, Meshach. It's great to see you. Great to see you too, Alex. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being here. So for Meshach, for those out there who don't know much about you and your background, if you could just tell us a little bit of a summary about your background and some of your career highlights. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So my name is Meshach Amworth. I'm the Managing Director for Allbound, and I've spent almost 20 years working in sales, different sales functions and leadership positions as well. Awesome. Incredible. So let's go right back to the very beginning. Tell us a little bit about your early years and how you actually got into sales in the first place. Sure. Honestly, I'd graduated with an economics degree and I was just looking online as desperate to get a job. And I found myself kind of moving towards commission-based roles. I just wanted to make a lot of money. And I just found myself applying for sales positions. My first role was what you'd call today an SDR, but we called it an LGE, lead gen exec. So it was kind of unique at that time. And I was just happy to get a job in the city. So did that for a, for a few months. After a while, I saw that I was quite successful at basically booking appointments for other people and just managed to kind of progress into that role. And after a, almost a year of doing that, I saw that sales reps were making quite a lot of money for appointments that I was setting for them. And I wanted to get involved in that and managed to, to do so. So that was kind of the beginning of my sales career, if you like, a long, long time ago. But ever since then, kind of progressed into different positions and did that for eight to 10 years awesome. and then made that switch to kind of leading European teams. Awesome. Well, we're going to unpack all of that sure. as we go through this conversation. Before doing that, I, I feel like in those early years, in a way, we we skipped a bit over the, the secret behind some of your success. You said that you were, in essence, an SCR and LGE, as you called it, and you were good at booking appointments. Why were you good? I always had, uh, to be honest with you, Alex, I was always quite, I felt like I had to be the hardest worker in the room. These were the days where there was no LinkedIn, no Facebook. It was literally hammering the phones. I always think of Pursuit of Happiness, that scene where he's just making phone calls, not even putting the, the handset down. And just being to office managers, getting past gatekeepers, that kind of thing, going to the business library in Barbican, literally printing sheets of businesses, going back to the office and, and doing the graft. And I loved it. You know, I just loved being out there and being in the city. I just really enjoyed it. And I always wanted to be the hardest working person in the room. And yeah, it kind of paid dividends for me, setting myself goals and targets, whether it was that house or that car, wherever it might be. Yeah, it's it's a really fascinating one because as you say, back then there there wasn't LinkedIn, there wasn't all of these tools, but there was something in the, the hard graph that you seem to enjoy and embrace. So when you look at the, the space that we're in now in the era where there are so many tools and there is so much technology, do you think that sometimes reps are maybe missing uh, the spirit of what you had there, which was just the purity of a phone and an objective, go and make it happen? Or actually do you see a lot of upside in the era we have now where there's so many tools at your disposal and in essence you, for many you don't actually have to pick up the phone to try and meet your plan just love for you to unpack that i think it's a balance right so i think if you can balance the scalability of leveraging tools cutting out the noise of maybe the wrong tools and using the right tools and then yes adding that component of picking up the phone 
where you manage to increase your hit rate quite substantially, then yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think it's a balance. I don't think it's just one or the other. I don't think one is dead or the other is dead. I think pendulums always overswing. But I think it's definitely a balance when it comes to that regard. That's fair to say. Got it. So you've now been a successful at booking appointments and doing all of those kind of things. And you've then stepped into your first quota carrying role, it sounds like. So walk us through into those those first few months where you stepped into that role for the first time. Yeah, it was obviously different because I was now out there and I was speaking to professionals and trying to understand how I can help them see value in what they were doing. I was working in the telecom space at that time. I was working in conferencing, and um, which has obviously evolved over the years into what it is today. But I loved it. I spent five years doing that. And, you know, I managed to make club and managed to go to AGMs and get awards and stuff. And it was just, it was just a very great experience for me. It's very difficult. Like, it's a very difficult job to do. But for me, the upside was... You know, I, I have I have relatives who are teachers, for example, and my older brother's a teacher. We're just chalk and cheese. So he likes working with children. I, work, I like working with adults. He lives in the country. I live in the city. So it's like, how can I work in an environment where I can, the sky's the limit for me. And what I want to achieve is just down to how hard I work and how well I work as well. And has that been enough to get you through the challenge in times? Because already, you know, thematically you've spoken about challenges you said that this is difficult to do mm-hmm. just bring us into that difficulty and that challenge and actually what goes through your mind to really help you move past those challenging times for me it's it's a combination of motivation and it's it's just what you have to do it's really hard to explain but for me i've got two choices do the work or don't do the work and that's pretty much it so for me it's not much of a choice in itself right that's how i move past it And whenever I want to achieve what I wanted to achieve, so for example, I wanted to buy my first property by the age I was 22, right? Or whatever it might be. And, you know, I was like a month off when I did it, right? And it was like, wow, that's a great feeling to be able to achieve what I wanted to achieve when I said it to myself 18 months ago, things like that. And I probably wouldn't have been able to have done that if I wasn't in a commission-based role. Maybe in other fields, but for the most part, commission-based role is what invariably helped me to achieve that. And ever since then, I just thought to myself, well, I can really achieve what I want to achieve doing this. It's just about my attitude. And no one can teach me to have that that attitude. I have to bring that myself. Yeah, I, I love this aspect of the game, so to speak, because, you know, I often talk so much about more than half of the battle being what's going on up here. And for people listening, I'm pointing at my head to say it's what's going up on it in your mind, right? If you've got someone who's driven, they're tenacious, they want to get after it, there's something that's helping them to have that will to win, that they'll find a way, right? You mitigate excuses and you just find a way. And then you've seen people out there who actually have a lot more experience or they've had a, a skill set that would maybe lend itself on paper to doing well, but the mindset just isn't there, right? The, the hunger, the desire, that tenacity just isn't there. So I love the fact that we're bringing this to the fore through this conversation. Now on your LinkedIn, you've referenced that multiple times being top biller and president's club during these early years so i want to start to break down and diagnose what really went into you becoming a an elite level performer early in your career start to maybe just break that down for us whether it was characteristics specific activities you did help us understand what got you there yeah so it was two things it was a system and it was consistency so i i believe consistency is a major component in anything you do and any goal, whether it's getting to a certain level of fitness, whether it's achieving your targets, whatever it might be. 
So the main thing was consistency. Just making things part of your everyday routine without even almost thinking about it. Again, the other thing was, if, I, if I'm honest, I, I always, there was a level of insecurity just around my ability to be as technically astute as maybe other people. And like, I was okay. Like I knew what an API was and all that kind of stuff, but I, I definitely wasn't as technical as, as most people. And so I believed that I had to mitigate that with just graft. And actually what I found was getting through the door was the hardest bit. And once you're actually able to do that, you have that team that's able to help you transfer that message, put it into action, show it visibly in demonstrations, et cetera, and then get things over the line. So, you know, it, again, it, it just really worked well for me. And once you get that, that bug, it kind of stays with you, especially when you see the success. Again, a bit like, going to the gym when you start to see success you end up wanting to keep doing it rather than kind of just giving up because you can't see the fruits of your labor yeah definitely I, i always talk about discipline and consistency over and above motivation because motivation it comes it wanes it dips but just getting it done under any given circumstance is so important a point that you did make is that you weren't always the most technical but you knew how to really evangelize something rally a team around you to help you drive the outcomes that you needed to drive how sustainable do you think that is for someone in their career say for example they're relatively early and saying actually i'm not very technical but what i am good at is having an eye for bringing in the right people at the right time do you think someone can sustain really an enduring career over time with that approach or would you actually say there is a point where you need to just sit and and start to commit to really getting into the technicalities of whatever it is that you're selling yeah that's a great question so What I would find myself doing is spend time out of office hours just reading up on what certain things, like I literally remember the day when I Googled API, like what does it actually mean? And even when I read it, I did, and I've said it a couple of times, but it's just a good example of when I was going through that process and just understanding because it was a completely different world. Like when I moved from telecoms to tech to SaaS, again, it's, you're learning completely different product. You're learning a completely different value proposition. And yes, your manager can teach you, you know, the kind of basics, but it's, it's down to you to go above and beyond and do the hours and, and do the research on not just the companies you're speaking to, but just your industry in, in general. I found, and it took me a while to realize this, I found that the best way to be successful is to demonstrate value, is to understand someone's business. For a long time, and I, I regret to say it, but for a while, my focus was just around just getting out there, putting in a pitch in place and seeing what happened. But what I actually found was the best way to be successful was to actually understand what someone's challenges are and actually provide real solutions. No square pegs into round holes, actually provide the right solution to the right ICP, wherever it might be. And it just removes barriers and makes your life easier. Yeah, absolutely. I'm starting to see a, a few things popping up here from the the discipline, the consistency, having a system or operating rhythm, and then really leaning in to truly understand challenges and solve problems for people. And then ultimately that unlocks a ton of value. So I like this breakdown here. Let, let's fast forward a bit now in your career. I know there was a point where you started to take on first man on the ground type opportunities. Mm-hmm. That's something I'm really keen to learn more about because it's, it's quite a unique experience comes with challenges and nuances so fast forward us to that point if you can yeah absolutely so up until this point I'd always kind of worked in teams and 
what had happened was I ended up working for a large organization. It's the world's largest software, privately run software company, still to this day. And it was very, it's a lot of red tape, great company, just a lot of red tape. And I always used to say selling internally was harder than selling externally, you know, and you were one of like 50,000 people. And for me, it was great at the time, it was great experience. But what I actually found was I want, I felt like I had the desire, the hunger, the energy to help companies actually grow at rapid pace. And again, I just, I just found myself gravitating towards a situation where I was approached for first person on the ground role. It was like, like joint first person on the ground role with like an account manager. And it was to help a, a US SaaS company develop international markets and you know, up until that point, I'd already been speaking to, you know, most countries in Europe anyway, who typically procure SaaS. And I'd got to get a good understanding of how they procure SaaS and what makes them tick and what our typical buying processes are and what to look out for, what not to look out for, temperament, things like that. And so for me, it was a great opportunity to see what, what I was made of. And yeah, it was, it was a great experience and it, and it paid off. And again, you know, sometimes you don't know all the answers, but if you just immerse yourself into something and you dedicate yourself to learning, you know, you have to, you have to back yourself. And once you do that, you find, you, you find that you, you can be, luck can go your way. It's an interesting one, right? You say you've, you've got to back yourself. You've got to be able to find a way, but there's also, I assume, got to be some kind of research that goes into, is this specifically the, the right company, the right opportunity? Because it carries risk when you're that first person. And, you know, people are going to probably want to look for some kind of evidence of, you know, why me, why right now, why this company, why this opportunity? So just walk us through the way that you thought about or thought through some of those things for you to feel comfortable with the, the risk factor here. So I joined an organization which provided customer experience management around website activity and subscriptions management, predominantly in the media and publishing space. And the reason why I gravitated toward that was two reasons. The first reason was, again, they were looking at breaking into the European market. And the second reason was they had a very distinct value proposition around how media and publishing companies make money. Up until that time, companies like Google, Facebook, YouTube, owned by Google now, had sucked up most of the advertising revenue in the market, in the digital space. So these organizations needed a way to find another revenue stream. And this organization was able to do that. Also up until then, I'd already been kind of helping organizations be successful in Europe. And I was working with people who were already develop, developing go-to-market strategies for the European market. And so for me, I felt like I kind of knew it with like the back of my hand a little bit. Obviously, different countries vary based on what products you're delivering. But in general, I knew that, you know, the major markets were UK, Germany. And then you had places like the Nordics, as well as the Netherlands, France. And then after that, you had, you know, other regions as well. So Israel, for example, which is a massive tech hub. So I started to get a good understanding of, you know, what areas were really able to help just generate revenue for the business and what kind of value propositions we could take there. And we developed it, we delivered it to the CEO and it paid off. So Yeah, it sounds like it was a, a sure. fun run. There must have been moments in this journey, Mishak, where you, you either questioned yourself or you doubted yourself for a particular moment, thought, am I doing the right thing? I, I'm just curious if you can just almost walk us into a vulnerable moment during this time and tell us about how you were able to navigate and move past that. That's a great question. So 
There was a time in this company where I'm being shown the tech and I'm looking at it and it's by a solution architect. It probably shouldn't be the person showing me the tech in hindsight, but I'm looking at the tech and I'm, I'm thinking, I do not understand what's going on here. I mean, this was relatively early in my, in my role, obviously, but I'm sitting in there in an office in New York, visiting the headquarters. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't understand how this works. And there was, a, there was a few moments where I just thought, I don't get it. But then I thought, you know, like with anything, as long as you just immerse yourself in it, it will click. And the way I learn is to understand the why. Forget the script, forget what you're told to say. Remember what you're trying to achieve or what the company that you're speaking to is trying to achieve and then just work backwards. And then for me, I'm able to then deliver it into layman's terms. So I always think to myself, if I explained it to my mother, will she, will she get it? As long as I can do that, then I'm, then I'm in a good place. And so, yeah, I would say that would be a, a specific moment where I thought, feel, feel a bit like a, a fish up a tree here. I'm not sure what's going on. But over time, once you get the value prop and you work backwards, then you understand, I, I get it now. I understand how the tech fits in. But let's figure out how to create value for this company first and help them be successful because their success is our success. And then I kind of work my way backwards. And every time I'm able to do that, things pan out and things work out. And I think that's the reason why I was able to help others deliver that. Whether you're a graduate or you've got five years on the job, whatever. Sometimes they're too engrossed in the tech. And sometimes I say to myself, you know, people don't buy tech. People buy solutions, right? And also a lot of people say people buy from who they, they like. I actually say people buy from who they trust. And they trust the consultant and they trust the person who gives them the right advice. You could give someone the wrong advice, but if you're a great person, great. But actually, I can't gamble on this thing because I'm not sure it's going to help my company. So, so yeah, a bit of a long-winded answer, but hopefully that answers your question. I, I like it a lot. And I buy into a lot of what you've just described there, Mishak. I think that one of the other aspects here for, for a lot of people is that confidence is something that also people can buy into, right? And to drive confidence for many people, they need to go on a journey of, of mastery, right? And mastery in their craft, because when you feel great about what you're selling, you understand it, you get the nuances, you have a level of competence that's akin to a, a sales engineer, it breeds confidence, right? Because you go into conversations and you're like, I know exactly what I'm talking about. I understand the results that it drives. I know the difference that it makes. And so I, I would also encourage people that as much as absolutely people buy based on trust and several of the factors that you, you touched on, I'd say commit to that journey of mastery because I remember many roles that I've been in. And one of the ingredients that I think helped me to sustain success was that I, I always said, I want to understand this solution to an equivalent level or better than the the smartest techie person within the company, <laughs> right? I want to understand it to that degree because I don't want to be lost in any conversation. Mm -hmm. And what it meant is that I could walk in every meeting with my chest held high. Those moments, and it happened to a few times where the sales engineer couldn't make it. And then it's just me and 10 other, you know, people from a, a tech background and you've got to hold your own. So uh, I'd really just encourage people to, to take ownership in that regard and drive confidence and, and conviction in the way that they approach conversations as well. Well, you touched on confidence and that's a really big deal for me. So I, I remember I was probably 10 and I always found that when I would read 
a book or whatever it was, if I wasn't interested in it, I just wouldn't absorb it. And I'd forget about it and, and whatever. And then I remember this one book that we read in school and it was about, it was a story about a boy in Ghana and my mum's from Ghana. And it just resonated with me. I was about 10 years old. And I remember reading a book. I went through the whole book in like 10 minutes and I remembered the book. And then fast forward, you know, a couple of decades. And you, you think, you know, what I realized in that moment was things you enjoy and things that you're confident with, you soak it in more. And I know I'm kind of stating the obvious, but I think that's a big deal. Because when you are walking into a SaaS space, if, you, if you're not enjoying it or you don't like it, you're going to struggle. And once that happens, you don't want to be there and it's not a good experience for you nor the people you speak to. And so the reason why I think what you're proposing to organizations is so important is if you genuinely believe in what the company's doing. Where I work now, for example, what was, I'd, I'd, I'd never heard of what, what we're doing today. I hadn't heard of it. But once it was explained to me, it just made perfect sense. It wasn't a new concept. It was touching on an existing concept, but refining it, which is, I guess, is most solutions anyway. You know, Facebook wasn't the, the first social media company. So, you know, once you like the products, that breeds confidence. Confidence breeds ability. Ability breeds confidence again. And it's a positive, you know, a positive cycle. And then again, People you speak to see that and then they buy into it and then there's that positive external effect. So absolutely. Yeah, no, I love it. Seeing as you're talking about what you're doing now, let, let's unpack this this latest role a little bit more. I know you've been there, I think north of two years, probably coming closer to your third year now. So uh, help us understand more about the rationale behind this move. I'd love for you to tie this into just the evolution that you've gone through as a leader as well, because from what I gather, this is the most amount of responsibility that you've had. So I'd love if you could just walk us through a bit more about what that experience has been like and how you came to take this decision. Absolutely. So, so I work for Allbound. We help companies be successful in the channel. The channel is not a new concept, which is what I loved about what we were doing. But every organization we speak to is doing things with an Excel spreadsheet and with a phone call, with an email, right? And that's great news for us because everything we do is based on that automating that component and that piece. And then obviously bringing value to what organizations want to achieve, whether it's their own revenue targets in the channel, whether it's their own growth channel, whatever it might be. So culturally, the business is a great place to be. It's a, probably the best company I've ever worked for. Our temperament, our attitude and the culture trickles down from the CEO. And it's a great place to be. In terms of what I've learned, you know, there's, I, I've, I've managed teams for a few years now. What I have found with this particular team is this is the first time where we haven't had an office. We have an office, but it's hybrid. And so I see, you know, people on Zoom screens 99% of the time when I do actually see them. There was like a six month period where I didn't know how tall anybody was, right? It turns <laughs> out guys on my team are like six foot four, it's ridiculous. <laughs> what you find is there's a different level of expectation because when you're in that office, people kind of bounce and breed off each other. And, you know, whether it's the SDRs booking those appointments or AEs closing that deals or walking over to that implementation specialist or walking over to that solution consultant to say, okay, hey, can you help me with this thing? Everything kind of changes. And the thing you have to understand is being effective, being efficient, productivity, sometimes it can be challenging for some people, especially if the TV's over there or Netflix is over there or whatever it might be. So, you know, there's the, the hiring aspect, there's the trust aspect, 
And it's just making sure that, you know, everyone's working in an environment where they want to be there and they want to be productive. I think it touches back on, if you don't enjoy SaaS, you don't enjoy what you're doing, you're just not going to put the work in. And couple that with someone who's working from home, they probably get up at 10 o'clock, finish at three o'clock, have a two hour lunch, you know, and that's, you know, it's probably not conducive to success. So a lot of it's around trust and hiring the right people. And we've got, we've got a great team, really, really great team, great foundation for what we're doing. So sounds incredible, like a fun place to be. So if we were to touch on leadership principles, Mishak, to understand a bit more about what you feel constitutes great leadership, the ingredients that go into that, walk us through what that looks like for you. So I, I have about five mentors and two of them don't know it and three of them do. And what I've always done is take the good from, take the good things that I, that I saw that were good skills to have and traits and characteristics and reject the bad. I've had some bad managers in the past as well. And I just always promised myself I'd never be that type of individual. The key thing I would say is be of service. I've seen too many people who believe and think that being a good leader is telling people what to do or almost running in a level of dictatorship, you know, and I always remind myself that people do mean well, like even if they're maybe not doing the thing that which I think is conducive to success or getting the best out of people or a happy environment, they probably mean well. They just don't know that what they're doing can be quite damaging. And as long as I always remind myself of that, usually in a good place. So for me, it's about just being of service. I always make sure that I'm available to speak to people when they need me. I had one of the guys literally filling out his first contract today literally and he was slacking me on the way here you know and i'm kind of you know messaging him on slack while i was on the tube waiting for get wi-fi at the station things like that and i'm happy for you know people to to start being successful in their roles so it's being of service and it's being open-minded to different ideas as well there are guys in my team who are smarter than i am on certain aspects and you know it's always a bit back to your point about mastery it's always about learning and learning from people who know more than you i'm always doing that you know and yeah you know sometimes you have very different personalities in the team as well some people love going into the office some people never go into the office some people talk the most in our weekly meetings some people never speak so it's about respecting the individual as well not trying to make them into what you want them to be but letting them to become what like the best version of themselves so yeah, there's a few things. For sure. I, I love the way that you rounded that off because if I was to, to touch on my own response to my own question, I think that concept of really truly helping people to unlock best version of self. And when you feel there's true passion in doing that, I think you, you, you've got a great start to becoming a great leader, I, I feel, for anyone out there because it, it's a selfless role in many regards. You're not often necessarily the biggest earner necessarily, right? If you've got a, a a rep out there who's just absolutely crushing it, they can go and potentially out earn, right? They can go and, you know, carve their own legacy and just focus on themselves and, and do that. But when you step into leadership, things change, right? It becomes about others. It becomes about how do you empower other people to realize their own potential and feeling truly happy and passionate about doing that. So I think there was a lot of ingredients in what you just described that that went into that. I'd love to know for you now, Misha, really your driving factors at this particular point in your career. You've gone through a number of different experiences from SDR, first person on the ground, now running a, a, a sizable team. Why do you do all of this? <sighs> Nothing else to do, I guess. <laughs> 
Um, it's a great question. You know, my parents are both. My mum's been an entrepreneur her whole life, and my dad's a musician his whole life. So they they're relatively unconventional, for lack of a better word. And I got I got my work ethic from both of them in different ways. So my dad's uh, uh, he's very systematic, keeps a tidy house. My mum has always run different businesses. So for me, you know, I, I take a lot of leaves from their books or pages from their books and. You know, it, it's a good question. I think what I want to do is, the first thing I want to do is make sure that we are the most successful company in this space. We already received, you know, sizable funding about four to six weeks ago, which was great. And that hopefully allows us to become, you know, the voice of the channel and what we're looking to achieve. One thing you touched on was genuinely caring about the team. I remember when I received my very, very first promotion and it was all the work I was doing and made President's Club and stuff like that. And that was a feeling that I remember thinking, this is why I do it. What I really get a kick out, I know it sounds corny, but I genuinely get a kick out of promoting individuals in the team. So we've promoted most of the people in our team in EMEA. And the reason why we've done that is because we see the work people put in and we want to reward that work appropriately. And so just seeing the individuals go through those processes is what actually makes me genuinely happy. Ideally, I don't know, maybe 50 years old, semi-retire, maybe work six months a year and the other six months let, you know, let people work for me. I don't know, but you know, I, it's, I've probably worked the hardest I've ever worked in my life now, which I didn't think that would be the case, but I enjoy it. You know, I'm up at 4.30 in the morning, five in the morning, up early, you know, let, go to bed early. It's fun for me. I, I like doing it. I just, again, I like to see the guys on my team successful and hopefully they feel the same way. So, Yeah, uh, great response. Great response. These early starts, these late nights, the hardest you've ever worked. How do you sustain all of that? Because it's at a high pace, right? Mm -hmm. When you're running a business and operating with that type of intensity. I'd love to know how you look after your, yourself physically, how you look after yourself mentally to be able to run at such a pace over an extended period of time. Yeah, sure. So, you know, again, back to that, back to being systematic. I think I get it from my father. So I'm, I'm literally up at like 4.30. I go gym in the morning because afternoon is, is, for me, it's not ideal. Evenings is not ideal. And then, you know, you get back around seven and then you're already working. And then again, because we're working from home a lot, you get a couple of hours back, you know, which I think most people probably... I'll have an extra hour in bed or whatever it might be. But for me, it's, I get another hour to be productive. And I like to cook as well. Like I spend a lot of time cooking. My mum's, so she's an entrepreneur. Most of her businesses have been hotels and restaurants. So she had like one of the first African cuisines in North London, like in the 90s. Yeah. Wow. So I like to cook and I like to take care of, like make sure that what I put in my body is, is you know, healthy and once after a couple of months, you see the differences. You see that you see the energy, the ability to perform and stuff like that. And early nights, you mentioned late nights, but early nights, that's the key. So people that try and get hold of me after 10, forget about it. You can't get, <laughs> you get, hold, of me, you can't get hold of me after 9.45. We've got to ask your favorite dish. What's the, what's the trademark dish? Oh God, I've got loads. I did this amazing sweet potato dessert that was pretty good. That was pretty good. I don't do it often though. Yeah, that was pretty good. Nice. Yeah. Sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I got a few other things for you, Misha, cool. before, before we wrap. You know, one of them is that 
you sound like you have an eye for talent. And the reason I say that is you said that you've promoted almost everyone in EMEA, which indicates to me that you've, you've hired some good people who got the right mindset and they're finding a way to, to win. So how do you spot great talent? And, and then how do you nurture that talent? Yeah, I shouldn't give all my secrets away, but I have like eight criteria that I kind of have when I'm talking to individuals when they interview. I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but the main two are desire and aptitude. So how much do they not just want the role, but how eager and how keen are they to want to be successful? And a lot of the time you, you can sense that. The aptitude piece is interesting for me because I would rather, I mean, ultimately, what's the, what's the best person you could hire? Someone who is very eager to be successful and someone who has the experience, right? That's the holy grail. But more often than not, you get one or the other. So if it is one or the other, I would rather have someone who maybe doesn't have all the experience in the world, but is, has great aptitude, keen to learn, has an ability to learn, and just wants to, to work hard. And uh, as opposed to someone who maybe feels like they've, they're the best sales rep in the world, but maybe don't show it or don't put the hours in or the work in. So those are the two main things. Do they really want it? And and can they learn about not just what we do, but can they learn different things, whether it's the technical side, whether it's the process, whether it's how they engage with people, are they personable, that kind of thing. So those are the two things. I loved your thoughts on that testing the how do we know if they really want it and the reason I say that is that I'm a massive combat sports fan regular listeners will know this and so you know there's always the infamous saying by by Mike Tyson that everyone has a game plan until they get hit in the face really? and I feel like in our space in many regards sometimes that can apply because I've seen an endless amount of people start software sales careers, many of friends even coming up over the years and they see certain accolades and a lifestyle that they, they think that they want to live. And then within a week or two, that, that punch in the face comes, <laughs> yeah. right? Once yeah. you've made that a hundredth call and you realize this, this thing isn't that fun or easy. So I'd love to know how you test for that metal, that really understanding. How is this person going to deal with the reality of what it takes to operate over an extended period of time in this space? Yeah, there's a couple of things. Like there's more micro level things such as, you know, how would you own a target? How would you break it down for me? And then I, I see, do they ask questions or they just kind of go into what they're looking to achieve? I've also been taught, and I wasn't aware of this, and this is where sometimes maybe, you know, maybe I need to understand more and be more self-aware, right? I wasn't aware that apparently I'm a very hard interviewer. I didn't think I was. But I've been told this by at least seven people. So uh, there must be something in it, right? But the people that tell me that get hired. So I say to them, well, we only want the best and, you know, congratulations, right? So maybe, and again, maybe I get that from my father, but, you know, being, be, making sure that we ask the right questions in the interviews and making sure we get the right people. And look, it's never a perfect science. You know, everyone makes the wrong hires, but, you know, you can just do just do the best that you can yeah. and then that's it yeah makes a ton of sense Mishak I have one final question for you and you'll probably know what's coming if you've watched any previous <laughs> episodes but if you were talking to that person out there that wants to go from good to elite level in their career what would your best piece or pieces of advice be for them be consistent get at least one mentor and when I say mentor I mean someone who you want to 
Someone who is doing what you want to be doing. That works really well. And did you say one? You said one, didn't you? <laughs> you can let it run if you want. I've had enough people let it run. to the question. Yeah. I, 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 consistency. Consistency is a big one. We're here for a long time. So if you do little bits every day, that turns into big things over a period of time. Have you enjoyed being on? Oh, I've loved it. Wonderful. I did say one final question and I bundled in that one as well. But look, it's great to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. To anyone that's been listening out there or watching on YouTube, I hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode. Please be sure to press that like button, comment, share and subscribe. And again, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, really appreciate if you could take a couple of minutes to leave us a five star review. As mentioned at the beginning, we've also now got the newsletter. So EliteLevel.co, that's EliteLevel.co to get tips and wisdom every single week from the best sales software leaders out there. Hope that you've enjoyed it once again and we'll see you on the next one.